Welcome in to Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. Hello, Joe Girard here. Another episode of Chasing Interesting. If only we had things to talk about today, Craig Hoffman. Man, if only we had fun things to talk about, good things to talk about, uplifting things to talk about. Instead, we have the news, which is, uh, it's been a doozy of a week. Uh, we will get into all the happenings around the Supreme Court coming up in just a little bit. Uh, obviously, the big story in the last 24 hours of uh, when we record this is Breonna Taylor and the lack of charges filed in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, but there's also, of course, some fun stuff later in the pod. A uh, little, little talk about bulking season. Joey's trying to put on weight. <laughs> Bulking season. Uh, size season. Here we go. Yeah, I need some, I need I, some expertise from, the, from our in-house trainer. Uh, that, is, that is me. That's, that is I. I. I claim responsibility for your, your bulking. Although, you know, bulking seasons, I feel like a thing more on the East Coast where it's like it's cold and everyone's just going to wear like baggy clothing. So you put on some muscle and then you got time to thin out by the time summer comes around again and right. but in LA it's just 75 and sunny all the time or I guess now because of global warming it's 80 and sunny and you can't breathe when you go outside but you know little details here and there right so it's very true west coasters don't tend to do that it's more of an east coast thing um but you know it still needs to get done and I spend most of my winter months anyway on the east coast during the holidays I should say back in Boston so uh, I think it's I think it's good for me to to learn a little bit about that world you really should do that the other way around. You should have your family come to you. The weather's nice where you are. Why do you do that? That's a good point. I don't know. I think it's easier to kind of gather so everyone to come home. out here. It feels like home? Feels like home, yeah. I don't know. You know, the coldness actually brings out the that holiday cheer for me because I'm so you know <laughs> so used to it. So I, hey, I don't dude, I'm so, I'm so happy. I can't feel my testicles. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. And usually it snows and you do snow angels. What part of Boston is my accent from? Dude, who knows? You sound like you're from, <laughs> you sound like you're from Maine with that. I don't know. You know what? That could be because my co-host of my college radio show was from Maine. And I feel like that was the accent we did for all of New England. So I'm going to blame Brewer. Okay. Brewer. It's all your fault, dude. It's you all it. your fault. Uh, should we do the serious stuff? Yeah, let's get to it. All right, let's go. Important and interesting. Louisville police and the state of Kentucky declined to file any meaningful charges in the death of Breonna Taylor. Of course, you probably know at least some of her story by now. Although, Joe, as we were talking before the pod, I think we felt it's, it's important to go over some of the details. So we'll do that in a second as well. But the short version, Taylor, a 26-year-old woman who was at home asleep in her apartment, when police executed a no-knock warrant. Uh, the, they might have knocked. Uh, it is up for dispute, technically speaking, uh, whether or not they announced they were police. Uh, no one besides the actual officers involved said that that happened, including Taylor's boyfriend uh, or neighbors who were around and had their apartments shot into. As part of this raid, uh, Taylor died in the exchange in which her boyfriend uh, fired one shot uh, to towards who he thought were intruders turned out to be three plainclothes police officers, and those police officers returned fire with 32 shots into Taylor's apartment and the surrounding apartments. The one officer who was fired in this case, Brett Hankinson, was fired a couple of months ago, and uh, he gets a wanton uh, endangerment charge. I think was was the technical term for it. Basically. He got charged for recklessly firing and being so reckless with where he was firing his weapon that it went into the other apartments. Um, and that is, I, I think, the crux of, of the story of, of what happened um, on a very baseline, factual level. And I will just go ahead and, and say, Joe, I have thought this day was coming for a long time. I went live on the, the Humans Not Hashtags account last night with my boy Jason, and so some people may have heard me say this, but when Louisville police settled with Breonna Taylor's family and admitted a $12 million mistake, they paid her family $12 million, and agreed to a number of police reforms, the police reforms were when I knew charges were not happening. Because yeah. what it said was, what happened at the time was legal and if it's legal 
when it comes to charges, it doesn't matter whether it's moral, ethical, right, wrong, acceptable, heinous. It was legal. And when we're talking about, and I am not saying this is correct. I'm actually saying quite the opposite. This is super fucked. That what happened was legal at the time and them changing the laws was them admitting it. But that meant that as much as we can have justice for Breonna Taylor, as much as charging those officers with murder is justice, because justice is us not knowing her name in this way in the first place. As much as that is seen as justice, we were not going to get justice. No, I, it, you, that once you see a settlement like that, I think you're right. We, we tend to, okay, this is probably not going to happen. The family got uh, a bunch of money, which unfortunately will not bring her back, and and justice will not be served. Um, and I think it would be, a, a, you know, it, it is kind of just to 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 learn the real facts here. I, by the way, there's so much that went out that's not even true. So debunking some shared rumors and widely spread propaganda about this um, is a good start for one. I had heard that they were literally in the wrong apartment to begin with, and that's not necessarily true. So her apartment was where they needed to be, not somewhere else. And and the and the police officer got charged of firing his gun that landed in various other apartments. So that happened. So they were at the right apartment. Now, them battering ram the door down, yelling out police. Is that confirmed? Well, so that's that's part of the dispute. And I do wonder ultimately because there's still there's one kind of more there's one more chance for some kind of criminal justice, which is the FBI. And if we're being completely honest, there's no shot in hell that the current Department of Justice, aka Donald Trump and Bill Barr's Donald uh, Department of Justice, is going to dole out charges in this case. My hope, as much as this is a hope is for that investigation to be prolonged as much as you want justice quickly to be prolonged into the new year after a hopeful Joe Biden victory and a Biden Department of Justice picking it up and filing criminal charges at the federal level against these officers. But going back to what you were saying in terms of the facts, the boyfriend, Kenneth Walker is his name. He's a real human who survived a tragedy and is still dealing with this. Kenneth Walker, legal gun owner, heard a knock at his door, asked who it was, didn't hear anything, heard the door come down, and fired one war- what he thought was a warning shot, and it wound up hitting a police officer in the leg. Well, they then what? returned fire, thinking they're getting fired at. But right. if they never announced their police in the first place, then it seems like a perfectly reasonable response from a gun owner. As much as you... If, if you believe in self-defense with a gun, that is the situation in which you are allowed to use it um, morally, ethically, and most importantly, in this case, in what, kind of the context that we are talking, legally. And so none of the neighbors heard them announce they were police. None of, or Kenneth Walker himself did not hear them announce they were police. The police officers say they did. But of course they say they did because, and, and we're not just going to take, I'm not going to take their word for it. Right. And there's no body cam footage on this one. Correct. So because they were executing a search warrant, um, there is no, they were not required to have, uh, like their unit does not have uh, video capture systems or however they phrased it, the police term that they used um, in the article I was reading in the, the Louisville Courier Journal, the local paper there, which has done a lot of really good work around this case. Um, so yeah, there's no, there's no hard evidence, if you will, uh, of whether or not they announced. But I, I think on some level, Joe, we can get bogged. Like I do think it's really important. And the, the, we were both reading an article right before we started recording of like eight fact checks on the Breonna Taylor case from the Courier Journal. That was very, very good. Um, and I think that's important just to kind of set the story straight that so we're all operating from the same set of facts that are actually facts, right? But on some level, I think we need to zoom out and not get bogged down too much in the details and realize like 
what do we all agree upon happened here? The police went to a house that was maybe tangentially tied to a larger narcotics or uh, investigation. The the tie is Brianna Taylor's former boyfriend uh, was under investigation, and it seems as if he was arrested. There's a, a, some some very questionable changing of some police documents uh, to have a more convenient time, but some of the evidence, like they didn't cover all their tracks. So it, it certainly seems like there was a warrant executed at his residence at 12.15 in the morning to arrest him, and he gets arrested. And then at 12.40, now he's already under arrest, they go barging into Breonna Taylor's apartment because maybe he the the ex still used that address to like get some packages or something, um, which we don't even know if that was something that Brianna Taylor knew about. So pause. So they make an arrest at twelve fifteen. That arrest is not Kenneth Walker, the gentleman currently inside her apartment. Those those are two separate people, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So that's where there's a lot of confusion because there were reports coming out that Kenneth Walker was this drug dealer and of course he had a gun. Of course he was firing at police because he didn't know who was coming in as someone who lives in that world. But that's not even true. They found no drugs at the apartment when they did the search. Right, because neither of them were tied to drugs at all. And, you know, I, I will also, again, quickly aside on that, even if they were, like, America has watched too much Narcos. Mm. Right? Like, think about your actual average weed dealer. Like, we both live in places that weed is legal. It's just, it is what it is. Right? Like, it's just a regular dude. Right? They're not strapped. Part Like, yes, there are cocaine syndicates out there and El Chapo and, like, that, that stuff is real. Narcos is based off a true story. But when we're talking about quote unquote drug dealer, it's like, nah, just it's your weed guy. Like that's probably more along the lines of what we're talking about. And in most of the cases that drug dealer is used. So the idea that you need to barge down the door at one in the morning, guns drawn, like why couldn't they just go knock in the middle of the day? Be like, yo, we need to take a look around. We've heard that there's some stuff happening. Here's what, like, there is a presumption with how this all went down of guilt and a presumption of some extremely dangerous, far beyond what was probably realistic scheme happening that strips everybody involved from Kenneth Walker to Breonna Taylor. To, by the way, the ex-boyfriend who actually was involved in the narcotics ring. that mm. strips them of their humanity and turns them into the bad guys on TV. These aren't bad guys on TV. These are real people. And the lack of humanity in how this warrant was executed allows officers the mental space to fire 32 bullets into these fucking apartments. Like, what on absolute earth makes you fire 32 times? How dead does someone need to be? Mm. Right? So it, when you talk about the race element of this, which somehow we haven't touched on yet, and why this falls into black people going, this is proof my life doesn't matter. It's because police didn't treat anybody involved here like a human. If this was a bunch of white dudes, if, it, if this is a rich kid's drug ring, they're coming knocking on the door, hey, we need to talk to Billy. No, they came with a fucking battering ram at quarter to one in the morning, in the middle of the night, ready to shoot. That's the difference. That's what's fucked up. And whether, and the final point to bring it all together, Joe, is that as of yesterday... What they announced is, yeah, that's all legal. Right. Legal. Well, someone's at fault here. Uh, it's, I think it's a fair assumption to say perhaps some of the police are at fault here. So I guess now it's, it's I guess, over in a way. 
so charges won't be brought. There was uh, a lot of demonstration across the country last night, including here in Los Angeles, including Las Vegas, including D.C. where you are, uh, Charleston, New York, and some others. People want some sort of answers. I don't know if it's going to happen. So how do we, now what? Now what happens? So now we change the system, right? So if the system that is in place right now says what happened, the thing that we described, the things that we agreed upon, that police could just go barging in the door at one in the morning and fire into an apartment with no care of where the bullets went, and the only ones that got them in trouble are the ones that left that apartment, right? That's the, the wanton endangerment charge that Hankinson got was because some of the ones left. Any bullet that went anywhere in, in Breonna Taylor's apartment, legal. Including the ones, the six of them, that went into her body and killed her. That's all legal. So now, what do we do? We elect people who change the rules and say that's not legal. That No, 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 no. Right? Police union contracts are out of control. The protections that police officers have to act with zero impunity, it's, it's so far beyond protecting them that it is endangering the citizens that they are supposed to be protecting. So we need to elect city officials who will negotiate different police contracts. We need to elect different district attorneys who will be willing to prosecute police officers. I think one of the things that hurt me the most on, on this announcement yesterday, Joe, was this was a sign that the district attorney wasn't even willing to try. And the same is true for the state attorney of Kentucky. Not even willing to try because they either knew, either one of two things, either they don't care about Breonna Taylor's life, even if we give them the benefit of the doubt that they do care and they wish they could do something, they knew they had no chance in a court of law that it wasn't worth the, the, the time and the resources to even try to make the case that all of the things we've laid out in the last 10, 12 minutes are wrong on a legal level, that they were going to lose. So we need to elect lawmakers that will change that, that is um, all the way from literal city officials who negotiate police contracts with the police unions, all the way up to the president of the United States who, lead, you know, who appoints the attorney general and, and uh, the Department of Justice and how they give guidance to district attorneys around the country and to police officers and, and law enforcement around the country. So that's what we need to do. And, you know, there's a sliver of justice for Breonna Taylor in some of the police reforms. It's not going to get it directly for her. But the fact that they, they've already changed, they've already, in the state of Kentucky, eliminated no-knock warrants. That's a good step. We need more policy changes like that. Those types of things need to happen in mass around the country so that there is not another Breonna Taylor. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. And that's why the protesting is important. That's why calling your congressperson is important. That's why voting is important. Because you simultaneously need to elect new people to make new rules so that this shit does not, it, police officers can't barge down a door and not care where the bullets go. So they know that. And if they do, that there are consequences. We haven't even touched on, you know, all the Second Amendment supporters uh, or lack thereof for this one. Because let's, I mean, let's, let's look at this too. The boyfriend, Walker, Kenneth Walker was not the person police were looking for. Fact. Mm -hmm. Walker believed he was in the midst of a home invasion. Correct. With his girlfriend, and probably knew that he couldn't leave or get out or retreat. He legally owned his gun, and he didn't kill anyone when he fired his gun. And, yep. and that's it. And what has the NRA said? Jack Zero. Shit. Because they're a bunch Nada. of racist, you know, insert whatever word you want there. They're the worst. And it, it you know, again, to go back to the race element of this, that's where some of the, uh, the, the layers start to, to peel away. You know, it's the same thing happened with Philando Castile in, uh, in Minneapolis when he was shot and killed by police a couple years ago. He told officers, I have a gun. He like, like, I have it. It's over there. I'm not reaching for it. And the officer freaked out and was like, bang, bang, you're, you're dead, right? And if you're really a gun rights advocate, then you're, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. Police are 
infringing on our rights. Like we know we have to be very careful and very safe. And these people were, or in the case of uh, Kenneth Walker, he was actually using the gun the way it was designed to, to protect himself from his family or protect himself uh, from intruders. He just didn't know they were police officers. And so what we see though, in reality is not a single peep about that and endorsement of white supremacists marching with AK-47s or whatever, AR-15s, onto state capitals because they don't want to wear a mask and praise of Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old in Kenosha who traveled across state lines with a gun he illegally owned, illegally brought across state lines, uh, and killed two people with, and praise for him. So yeah, it's about race. It's It's not about gun rights. It is about white supremacy and maintaining power with the white people that have had it since they came on the shores of this country and started slaughtering Native Americans 400 years ago. Which, Joe, brings us to the other sad news of the weekend. And these stories are a lot more interrelated than people would would think. And that is the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Simply put, a legend. One of the most consequential human beings to walk this earth in the last century. Full stop. And it's sad that we can't focus on that, that we can't just focus on the amazing strides she made as a lawyer before she ever was even on the Supreme Court as part of the ACLU and and some of the, the lawsuits that she filed and argued for getting women's rights, arguing against or in a Supreme Court that was filled with nine men. She had to craft arguments for women to convince men, and she was extremely successful in doing so. Then, obviously, as a Supreme Court justice herself, not only uh, writing uh, and being a part of some major opinions, uh, you know, some of the more notable ones recently, including gay marriage and, and uh, some of the legislation around the Affordable Care Act, where she actually very famously uh, dissented as she was a part of the minority, uh, probably most famously on the dissension side, writing that the court's ruling in 2013 to disassemble part of the Civil Rights Act of 1965 was the equivalent, basically the, the court's argument was it worked. She dissented saying, this is like putting away your umbrella in the middle of a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. <laughs> and so her ability to clearly make arguments, to clearly lay out the stakes, her understanding of the world, what an incredible, incredible human, who, by the way, in her 80s, also became somewhat of a, of, of a pop icon, um, yeah. a, a pop culture icon, which is just amazing and, frankly, very cool. Yeah, she obviously did a lot for this country, for women, um, fighting for equal pay for women, and now her death leaves the court with five conservative, uh, conservative-leaning justices and, and now three liberal ones. And the chatter all this week is that President Trump wants to get his nomination in. I believe it's going to come down Saturday. Um, for he'll Saturday at 5 p.m., re- Joseph. Prime time. Prime time. He'll nominate a replacement. And uh, your boy, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Turtle, turtle. Uh, has promised that uh, he will confirm this vote. Um, which is weird because in 2016, when Obama wanted to do this, Mr. Mitchie wanted nothing to do with it and said because it was a voting year, oh no, 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 no. We must wait until the American people, until we vote in November. We must wait until we fill this seat, until after the election. Yet here we are, four years later, going very much against what he said four years ago. Yep. And I will say, this this doesn't happen often. I agree with Mitch McConnell right now. The problem is, <laughs> Mitch McConnell four years ago exists. And so, do I believe that a president, as long as they are in office, should have the ability to do their job, essentially? Yes, I actually do. And which is why I was so disturbed at what happened four years ago. McConnell saying, the voters need to decide. It, it's a referendum 
that we need to put on the ballot. It's like, no, we did that. We had an election in 2012 and Barack Obama won and he was elected for a four-year term. And that was in February. So he had roughly 20% of his term left. Here, we're in the final, what, 5% of Trump's term? Like, we're less than, we're 40 days from the election. Like, that's that's insane. Votes, like, if you're going to make the argument that it should be on the ballot because it's an election year, the election has, his argument in 2016 was the election had already started. Yeah, there had been some campaigning. There are votes that have been cast in this election. Early voting has started in multiple states. So if you're going to use that reasoning, then you need to be consistent. And as Barack Obama said in his statement, you know, it's about precedent. This is a legal proceeding in, in law. There is precedent. And until a new precedent is set and clearly established, then you need to follow the precedent. McConnell was the one who set the precedent. But Joe, I, I think what's more important here than just pointing out the hypocrisy. I, I do think pointing out the hypocrisy is important. And it's partly and slash mostly important for political reasons because people hate politicians because they are hypocritical all the time. And so if you want to make a really good case against Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, against Tom Tillis in North Carolina, against all these Republicans who said in 2018, or sorry, said in 2016, this is the right thing to do. We, we can't let Obama nominate a Supreme Court justice. And in Lindsey Graham's case, he said, you know, if this happens again in 2020, you can use my words against me. We should do that. Like, yeah. we should absolutely do that because it's good politics and it will help get these scumbags out of Washington. Please leave my city. Get the hell out. Nobody wants you here. But what I think is more important and what is more interesting, as this is the Chasing Interesting podcast in the important and interesting segment, we check both boxes, is why McConnell wants to do this. Quick history lesson. About 40 years ago, the Republicans realized they were screwed demographically. Their party had become the party of essentially the white man, uh, but specifically, or less specifically, white people, conservative values, traditional, quote-unquote, American family, whatever, pro or anti-abortion, anti-gay rights, all that kind of stuff, anti-immigration. Well, immigration wasn't slowing down. And with the civil rights movement, there were more and more black people in power, even if still to this day, uh, that those numbers are horrific, horrifically skewed in racist ways. But they saw coming what has come to fruition, demographically speaking, almost already 40 years later, and will continue to cement itself over the next whatever decades. This is becoming a blacker and browner country. And the majority of people, even white people, don't agree with their views. So if you're going to hold an election based off of ideas, and your ideas are not as popular as the other ideas, you're going to need to lie, cheat, and steal. And so they've lied a lot about what Democrats want to do. They want to take your guns away, which is not true. No, they want, they kill babies. And it's like, no, actually, if you look at the data, uh, allowing abortion to be legal causes less abortions. So even if you actually care about the outcomes, Democratic policy greater than sign Republican policy, but who's counting? But the biggest thing they've done is the stealing part. They've gerrymandered. They have tried to pack the courts with as many Republican conservative-leaning people as possible to lifetime appointments because those people aren't going to get elected. If they can get those people in power, they never get out of power because they're lifetime appointments. And so they realized a long time ago that the courts were the place to make their impact. And so that is why they have so shamelessly gone for this ultimate power grab, stealing a seat from Obama in 2016, and now trying to ram this through in what would be record time in 2020, because if they can cement a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court, even if Democrats pass laws to represent what Americans want, the popular things that I was just referencing, that they knew they would lose the ideas election on, 
if they can have the court say, oh, no, that's illegal, then they still get to maintain power. They can still pick their voters as opposed to having the voters pick them. They can take health care away from people and keep their rich insurance friends in business. They can take away a woman's right to choose. They can do all of these things through the courts because they know clock's ticking on them being able to do it through legislation because they're going to lose elections as they refuse to moderate and change their ideas to be more in line with the American people and Democrats continue to do what happened in 2018 in the House elections where they won a wide swath majority and, uh, you know, and were able to, to hold the Trump administration accountable the last two years as best as they could with just half of, uh, you know, half of one branch of, of government under Democratic control. Wow. That's uh, when you look when you think of it like that, a six, three majority, that is a game changer and frightening. If that comes down now, can the Democrats fight this? Can Pelosi and her crew, uh, can they, uh, and Schumer and those guys, can they fight this? Can they fight the appeal? Can they fight the nomination? Can they drag it out to a point? So there's some small things they can do. Um, but ultimately no, right? If McConnell, who is as brilliant with Senate, rules and senate maneuvers as he is an evil son of a bitch which is very like 152 out of 10 uh then he can get this done trump's going to nominate someone on saturday they'll have the confirmation hearings they'll they're going to nominate someone who has had some of the background work already done on them because they they're been appointed to a lower court sometimes that's what slows it down is like the fbi background check so, to get to 6-3 is probably going to, frankly, happen, especially with Mitt Romney and Chuck Grassley, uh, senators from Utah and Iowa, going back on their previous word that they wouldn't vote for this. Those were the two that kind of were holding out hope for. Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins of Alaska and Maine have already said they're going to vote based off the precedent set in 2016. All the other Republicans are falling in line. They all want the conservative justice on the court, so it'll go. What Democrats can do, though, and should do, frankly, anyway, is say, okay, you want to play this game. We, for years, have been the party that have tried to play by the rules. We're going to play by your rules now. Because the outcomes are more important than the... The ends here justify the means. It's imperative that a woman's right to choose gets protected. It's imperative that the Affordable Care Act isn't gutted and 20 million people don't lose health care. And it's, on a broader spectrum, imperative that the actual views of Americans are represented in all three branches of government. So, what we're going to do is if you pull this shit, as soon as you get crushed in the elections because Americans are going to be super pissed at you, and we have the White House, the Senate, and the House... We're going to pass a law that expands the Supreme Court to 11 justices. Well, that means there's two vacancies, and Joe Biden gets to fill those. And so now you go from a 6-3 majority to at least 6-5, and you have a swing vote back. Really, you could do more. You could be like, oh, we're going to, put, we're going to make it 15. Um, I think that would be aggressive, and that would probably cost— that, that would be a step too far. But you should at least add two justices to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's been at nine since, what, 1886 or something? How many states have we added since 1886? Nevertheless, people. So that's one of the options. But then the other thing that needs to happen is so much of what our political system's success has worked on to the extent that it's worked is the adherement to norms, to things that we all kind of agree that we do. Democrats need to turn those things into laws. Democrats need to take things like gerrymandering and make them illegal. Not, not just like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. And so there are things like that that also need to happen. Voting rights that need to get implemented. Uh, all those different, uh, stronger uh, protections for a woman's right to choose. All these things that need to then turn into laws that a Supreme Court that has been rebalanced can uphold 
and and establish as the law of the land for as long as we're around, which if not, this stuff doesn't happen, let's not get it twisted. Because here's the other part. I know I'm being long-winded here, so apologies. But why this is also super important is Donald Trump said yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, as we always do. He said yesterday he would not guarantee the successful or the uh, peaceful transfer of power. Well, that could come down to a court decision. And that's where it gets scary. If this justice gets approved and it's 6-3 conservative and those conservatives all act not as independent justices capable of reading the Constitution and going, yeah, Don, you lost. Get the fuck out of here. Which some of them might. It's not all hope lost. But if they act as political operatives and say something crazy and go along with some Trump conspiracy theory, he might not leave and the courts might be like, yeah, well, he should stay. And that's where it gets terrifying. Now you're talking about true authoritarianism. Now you're talking about uh, an emergency and a constitutional crisis far beyond anything any of us thought was possible. But we need to prepare for that. I don't know what preparing for that means. I need smarter people to tell me what I'm supposed to do for that. But like at least being aware and not accepting it as a foregone conclusion is, is an important first step. 40 days, folks. 40 days away from the election. Please fucking vote. <laughs> we must act. Hit the f- All right, Joey, one more quick political thing before we move on to the second more fun half of the show. I thought this was a really effective message from Joe Biden. You know, we just gave you a bunch of reasons why you should vote for Joe in November or before if you're voting early. But I, I thought this attack on Trump is one that really will resonate with a lot of people. Frankly, I've dealt with guys like Trump my whole life. Guys from the neighborhood I come from who look down on us because we didn't have a lot of money. Your parents didn't go to college. Guys who think they're better than you. Guys who inherit everything they've ever gotten in their life and squander it. Guys who stretch and squeeze and stiff electricians and plumbers and contractors working on their hotels and casinos and golf courses just to put a few more bucks in their pocket. Guys who do everything they can to avoid paying their taxes they owe because they figure the rest of us, the little people, we can pick up the tab for the country. Oh, do I love that. I mean, he, just his, his cadence and how he spoke of that talks to the everyday, middle-class, hard-working American. Uh, I love that clip. I do too, and because exactly what you said. I think this is a really effective message from Joe Biden saying, Trump is not you. He tried to tell you for four years, I'm you. I'm going to protect the little guy. He's not you. I'm you. I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I live in Delaware. And I am the person who was looked down upon by people like Trump, just like you. And I think not being able to do that was a huge issue for Hillary Clinton in 2016, amongst many others, from Comey to Russia to sexism. But I think for Biden, that's part of the reason why he connects with so many people. Hi! Welcome <laughs> to my lawn. It's a little extra on the hay today. Uh, so this is a segment where we kind of just have a off the beat topic that we have some thoughts on. Joey? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's starting to turn to fall season. We're hitting the stride of the pumpkin spice latte world. Are we officially leaving? The iced coffee summertime vibes and switching to hot coffee. Are we, are we there? Is this, is this what's happening? I think we are. And on the East Coast right now, we're in a very weird state where some days are very nice and it's still iced coffee day. I just had an iced coffee as we were starting the show in a chalice, might I add. Uh, and other days, I think you'd be insane to have iced coffee because you need that warm, like cozy coffee feeling. What I have a problem with though, is people who still get iced coffee in like December. When it's <laughs> two degrees out and you're like, yeah, I'll have the uh, venti iced coffee. You're a monster and you need help. Well, I see that's actually more common than you think, especially those who are active. If you're working out, a lot of people will use iced coffee for a post-workout beverage. I've seen a lot of that. By the way, it's still 98 degrees in California. So iced coffee is still a thing. 
uh, and it's still prominent here. Well, yeah, in LA, sure, you can have iced coffee year round. I'm talking about when you come back, when you go back to Boston and everyone's running on Dunkin' and they got the large iced coffee to go in their mittens that they have to hold it in with their boots and their leggings and their puffer jacket. Yeah, I'm talking about you, basic girl with the iced coffee. What, like, what joy does that bring you? There is something magical about a warm cup of coffee in the winter, and you are robbing yourself of that for an iced beverage while you're an ice human. <laughs> you are a disgrace to American civilization, and we're done with you. Thank you for joining my side, Joseph. This is the end of the segment. And now, sports. Real quickly, let's hit the NBA playoffs, and then we'll get into our NFL weekly segment. And Joseph, your Boston Celtics are in trouble. And not good trouble. They're in bad trouble. We're in bad trouble. Down three to one now. Game five is tomorrow. I mean, by the way, we easily could have won games one and two. I'm not sure what happened there. And we just lost all types of momentum. And clearly, I I mean, honestly, focus and watching some of the plays. Dude, I don't know. I, I definitely feel a lot different than I did last week. And we need to kind of turn the page here. Something needs to happen tomorrow. Facts. They are, I mean, obviously facts because they're down 3-1. If they lose again, it's it's over. But this Miami team is so smart and so tough and so versatile that they're a legitimate pain in the ass and they're a lot better than people want. In a lot of ways, they're like Toronto last year. For years, what we saw in the NBA was just talent won, the best players. Obviously, LeBron makes the finals eight straight years in the East, all that kind of stuff. But what we've seen in the last decade is teams with real identity are the ones that win championships. And we saw it starting with those Miami teams with LeBron. Yeah, they were super talented. They were the best teams in the league. But... That first year, they didn't really have an identity, and Dallas, a team that had a very distinct identity, beats them. Those Miami teams developed an identity. They, they really had a style of play. They honed in on. They had some chemistry. They go on and win. Golden State comes along, right? That team had an incredible amount of talent, but especially that first year, the identity they had, they knew exactly who they were. They knew exactly who they wanted to be, and who they were and who they wanted to be were pretty darn close. And night to night, they were the best version of themselves a lot. And I think that's what this Miami team is. And you saw it last year, obviously, with Toronto. Uh, they knew exactly who they were. Kawhi was sensational, but it was a team who knew who they were. They understood their roles. And Miami, as an organization, is as good at that as anyone in sports at establishing an identity, finding players who fit that identity. Jimmy Butler is the perfect Heat player. So, yes, they don't have the traditional talent necessarily of a title team, but they have the makeup and they have the identity. And for a team in Boston that has a lot of that, but still I think is maybe missing a piece of that mental toughness, that mental exact identity of who they want to be night to night, is it a team around Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker? It works sometimes because you can camouflage, but I don't think they have that strong sense of identity like the Heat do. And that's, that's a huge difference, and I think that is ultimately why they've been able to be so good in these playoffs. I think only losing the one game to Boston so far. They were undefeated, I think, in the first two rounds. They might have lost one to Milwaukee, but yeah, they're, they're sensational. All right, Joe, that brings us to the football quick hits. We have our most impressive team, our most disappointing team from last weekend, Then we look forward to what we're most looking forward to and the best bet of the weekend. Who was the most impressive team to you, sir? I got to say it was the Raiders. Uh... Last week, uh, their first game in Las Vegas, opening night of their new stadium, and they played the Saints. No one thought that the Saints were not going to win this game, uh, coming in pretty pretty favored. And the Raiders, they played great. It was a great game to watch, very exciting, great plays all around, great coaching. Uh, John Gruden, big fan. And they pulled it out, 34-24 against hey man, the Saints. Thank you very much. I appreciate your kind words. Oh, that's, that's a pretty good impression. You know I had a John Gruden in me, did you? I covered his brother that. five freaking years. And the funny thing that was, my, my John my John is way better than my Jay, even though I was around Jay like every day for five years. Uh, yeah, they were great. And, and the Gruden boys know how to use a tight end. And Darren Waller for Oakland is a hella good player. And they did a great job 
getting him the ball in dangerous spots. Mo- I, so I agree with you on that. I was going to say my most impressive was the Cowboys, but I'm actually going to flip that around. My most disappointing being the Falcons. Same game. Cowboys come back and win 40 to 39. The Falcons were up huge in this game and they lost. Like, that's it. That's the Falcons. They get up huge and then they lose games despite the fact that they're ridiculously talented. And why is Julio Jones, one of the best receivers in football, allergic to catching touchdowns? <laughs> All right. My most disappointing, uh, of course, it depends on what side you're on. It was the Seahawks Patriots game. Uh, if that was a great game to watch. Obviously, being a Patriots fan, Cam Newton looked great. He was leading the charge. We actually could have won that game down the stretch. Uh, he tried to do a quarterback sneak uh, in the last seconds of the game. Didn't work out. The pass lost 35-30. So uh, even though it was an exciting game to watch, it was kind of disappointing. I still think if you're a Patriots fan, you got to feel good about Cam moving forward, though. So that's I agree. limited I agree. levels of disappointment. Uh, all right. Most looking forward to. I think we're both on the same game here. Yeah, I think we're uh, for sure. It's the Chiefs-Ravens on Monday Night Football, two massive teams. Uh, honestly, I couldn't even tell you. I, I don't think I'd bet this game because I don't know who's going to win. Two very explosive teams uh, and primetime Monday night. Monday night football. I agree with you there. Uh, and that's, yeah, that game's going to be an absolute blast. All right, best bet. I got mine last week. You had the Chiefs last week. They won but did not cover. Uh, I can't forget. Oh, I had the Rams at in Philadelphia, who for some reason were an underdog, and then they smashed the Eagles, and I felt very smart. Uh, who do you have for your best bet this week? I actually I have your pick from last week. I have the Rams. They're playing the Bills in Buffalo. Uh, so uh, the Bills do have home field advantage on this one, but I, I, the Rams are, are coming off uh, a great victory. Uh, they got great momentum, uh, and they're headed into Buffalo. I'm taking the Rams. You always pick the better team when you also get points. Uh, I know it's on the road, but home field advantage is not a thing this year because there's no crowds. Uh, I will take, speaking of, typically never bet against the Saints at home, except for when there's no one there to see them. I'm going to go Green Bay, who has been terrific. Rodgers looks like he's just a world beater right now. They're getting three at New Orleans. I'm going to take the Packers. Pack, 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 pack. That's our football quick hits. On to look good, feel good, do good. What's we looking at this week, Joseph? All right, so if you have Netflix, uh, you got to check out. I mean, dang, they won nine Emmys last week at the Emmys. Shit's Creek. Uh, they broke the Emmy record for most wins in a single season for a comedy. Uh, it is a hilarious show. You got to check it out if you've not seen it yet. It's all the buzz. People are talking about it. They also got a huge syndication deal. So even though if you don't have Netflix, it's going to be pretty much everywhere in the next few months. Shit's Creek, y'all. Like it. I'll have to check it out. I think I would enjoy that show. All right. Feel good this week. Our health and nutrition segment. It's bulking season, Joe. Oh, boy. Here we uh, go. I need some Flex tips. on them. Flex uh, on them. By the way, and I, I kind of take a, already, I'm already doing a little bit of creatine. What more do I need to add? Calories. Joseph, oh. you got to eat. You got to eat, bro. I, I had this conversation with you off air the other day, and I, I, you're about the second or third person in the last two weeks that has asked me, how do I put on weight? How do I put on some muscle? My answer is pretty simple. Lift heavy weights. Lift them a lot. And eat a lot, especially a lot of protein. There's more that we could get into. Uh, I am available for for hire for nutrition or not nutrition, but for training. So uh, you know, holler at me on my website. Uh, but it, just the, on the very basic level, you need to do some damage to your muscles with some time under tension, a lot of volume, weights times sets times reps. Weight being a relative term. You can use quote unquote lightweight, even body weight. But if you make it heavy by moving it slowly and have a lot of time under tension, that increases your volume. And then you need to be able to repair it. And that means you have the fuel to actually repair it. So protein, you need some carbs in there to help facilitate that muscle growth. Then, yeah, things like creatine can help uh, kind of accentuate that process. But those are bonuses. The basics, the things you need, the cake, not the icing, are a high protein diet, probably about 50% of your macros uh, coming in through protein. And then a, a, a fairly heavy, strenuous weight routine 
But with that, you're going to need to also rest because working out makes you weak. Recovery makes you strong. So maybe about three weeks on and then a lighter deloaded week to let your body actually heal and really kind of put on that muscle. So I think that's the other forgotten element is that time to recover. So if you're just going hard every single day, eventually you need to take a break so that your body can recover, build that muscle and get some of that size. Cool. Uh, that's actually great tips. Also, uh, tell me the app you were mentioning, uh, when we talked this week about measuring what you eat in the macros. Yeah. My fitness pal is a really easy one to use. I, th- I feel like that's the one that most people use. Uh, Under Armour makes it. So congrats on the free plug Under Armour. Send me some gear. Wrap up. We do good. And we've talked to you a lot about voting, but I think on the heels of today's episode and everything we talked about and the fact that two days ago, Tuesday was national voter registration day. We simply want to remind you to get your shit together. Yeah. And ask your friend, you know, or your family members, hey, make sure they're dialed in. Make sure they're voting. Uh, Find out, you know, that your cousins and Aunt Susie and Uncle Ted are dialed in too, wherever they live. Uh, Have a legit plan if you're doing the mail-in vote. If you're going to vote in person, go to, you know, your state's website. Very easy to find, very easy to to check if you are registered, what party you're registered for, and how you're going to vote uh, next month. 40 days away, Craig. And wouldn't it be really cool, Joe, if that was like a competition on who could register the most voters and you could win some stuff? Is that doable? It's done. Through humans, oh. not hashtags. My group, we created a competition called Plan Prep Vote. And admittedly, it's a little easier to compete if you're in DC uh, because some of the gift cards and the things that we're doing are DC based. But if you would like to get involved in our little competition, you can get your friends to fill out Vote Save America's Get Your Shit Together Instagram story where it just says what their, what state they're, they're registered in and their plan to vote. Tag us at not hashtags. So humans, not hashtags at not hashtags. And if they're in a swing state, which we have identified, let's see if I can remember them all. uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, Texas. Yes, we put Georgia and Texas in there. North Carolina. And I think there's one more, maybe Colorado. We put on our list. It's all in our, in our IG story. But if they're there, you get double points. So real incentive for those of you that live in swing states. So, or have friends in swing states. So do that, tag us, get some points and you could win. It's actually a $200 prize pack all in total. So it's, it's a legit prize pack. So we're excited to do that plan, prep, vote, get your friends to do the same. And that's, that's how you can do some good this week. Yeah, I'm in. Excellent. That's the show for this week. Appreciate you sticking with us. No, it was a long one, but there's a lot of important things happening. So we come here to talk about them. And I think we did that today rather successfully, Joe. Yeah, we did good. Uh, if people want to go and make comments or subscribe, how do they do that? Just go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. You can do the same on Spotify. Make sure you're following along wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on social media. I'm at Craig Hoffman on Twitter, at Craig underscore Hoffman on the gram. And I am at Joey Gerard, both Twitter and Instagram. So that's our show. And remember, every teaching opportunity is also a learning opportunity. This is Chasing Interesting.